This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, what's up? Welcome to the Alternative Facts Podcast, Billboard's weekly podcast for rock, alt-rock, punk, pop-punk, emo, experimental shit, metal. This week, focusing on emo. It's a very emo episode. If you know me, this is not a surprise. My name is Chris Payne. I'm a staff writer at Billboard. I host this podcast every week. And uh, yeah, the big E word, the emo podcast. Uh, this week, it's not a, not a musician, but a, a fellow podcaster. Double podcast talk coming at you with uh, Tom Mullen. He is uh, a good friend of mine, and uh, he's the leader of a thing called Washed Up Emo, which is uh, not washed up at all. It's actually a very, uh, very vibrant, very current source of commentary on uh, all things coming from the emo world. And uh, aside from uh, being a podcaster, it's also a DJ night, a couple of websites, awesome Twitter account. But uh, he has his first book coming out, and it's or it's out already, I should say. It's on news. It's on. It's in stores now. Online, on Amazon, it's everywhere. Go get it. It's called The Anthology of Emo, Volume 1. And what it is is a compilation of a bunch of interviews that he's done with emo superstars over the years. People like Dashboard Confessional, The Get Up Kids, The Promise Ring. He's interviewed like Jimmy World, even though they're not in this book, because he does actually, he probably has a future one coming. But he's done a ton of interviews with all sorts of people across the scene. And it was a lot of fun talking to Tom about the backstory behind these about how it actually went down little anecdotes what it's like to talk to these people what it's like being involved in the scene going to shows for so many years uh i invited him into the billboard office a couple weeks back and you're about to hear this conversation a lot of nerding out between two people who just really really care about this stuff and i hope you do too and um i hope this is an inspiring talk for you guys like i said this book that he did just completely came out of a podcast that he started on his own about 10 years ago so if you guys are into writing books or starting podcasts doing interviews things like that hopefully some words of wisdom passed on to you guys and this was a blast for me to have this talk you know i got into this scene of music around 2002 2003 thereabouts and it really was what just got me into music journalism or 
into the media world in general, you know, reading alternative press, absolutepunk.net, things like that. It's what just got me writing on my own, doing interviews, doing reviews, going out to shows. It it was a big thing for me. And Tom also, I, I can I think it had a very similar impact on him. And he, he comes from a slightly different perspective. He's a few years older than me, got into the scene a few years prior. So we have kind of differing points of view on some things like when he was getting into things the scene wasn't as blowing up in the mainstream as it was when I got into it in the mid-2000s so we kind of have some different perspectives here on things but I think that's what makes for a really good conversation and uh yeah so I'm not gonna ramble anymore this is already an, an episode on the longer side but it's I had a blast with this and I hope you do too so here it is here is my talk with Tom Mullen of Washed Up Emo forgive me Running off the fine And the one thing I have to do Tom Mullen? Yes. Washed up emo. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, you're a repeat guest on the podcast World of Billboard now. Yes. The first one was really fun. Yeah, I had a blast. <laughs> and you've got a lot more going on now. You're yeah. expanding into different mediums. I'm trying. I'm trying to do I try I'm trying something physical this time. Yeah. So you have your first book coming out very shortly, but before we dive into all that why don't you give the listeners a little primer on what Washed Up Emo is, how it started, how it began as a podcast, as a DJ night, as a web presence, maybe as a lifestyle, and now how it's becoming this book. Yeah, so the site started 10 years ago in October 2007. So last last month was uh, 10 years, and I started because the bands I loved weren't Online. I know that sounds crazy today, but there actually wasn't any articles about American football. There weren't any th- any things about Elliot or any of these bands that I thought should be mentioned. So I was like, let me just make a website. Made a crappy website, started talking about them, and then throughout the years sort of helped smaller bands that maybe were sounding like those bands. Um, so then that was the first few years, just talking about the old bands, reminding people about new stuff. And then in 2011, started the podcast where I was like, wait, there's no oral history. No one's heard Mike Kinsella's voice. There's a AP, maybe, Alt Press maybe did something, but it was written, not audio. No one's told these stories. Let me do that. So that snowballed. So now that's going on six years. And then a couple, few months before that, um, the DJ night started where we realized that we had all these friends that liked playing music. So on Valentine's Day 2011, we started a DJ night playing records from all eras from the 80s, 90s through today, uh, which was really fun. We had so many people guest over the years. Um, if it's Chris Conley, Max Bemis, Armor for Sleep Guys, uh, Christy Front Drive, like just cra- braid. Like it's kind of cool over the years. Now those people get paid. We didn't pay them. We just gave them free beer um, and fun. But it, 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 it was cool. It's been an interesting to see that take off. But it's still fun. We're still doing it consistently every month. We've been doing it every month now um, since 2011, which is kind of crazy. So then I go, wait a minute. Two years ago, I went, there could be a really cool way to showcase these interviews in another way, in written form. People would want to own it. And so about two years ago, um, I realized that my cousin worked for Interview Magazine, and he was moving to New York, and I knew that I could pay him to transcribe. So I said, why don't you 
transcribe these. I think there could be a book opportunity. We started doing that. And then a friend wrote me who designed books and said, hey, if you ever do a book, I'll help you design it. And so that's kind of where it came from. It's like your 10-year anniversary tour. It is. The classics. It's kind of crazy. 10 years of doing I mean, and then starting to go to shows 20, 23 years ago, 25 years ago, which is kind of nuts to think about, too. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of those shows, those memories are embedded in these interviews. So to give the people a primer, uh, 10 interviews, right, in the book? Yes. 10 greatest hits, so to speak, from across the library, the very deep library of over. 100 plus over, episodes. Yeah, 100 plus episodes of the Washed Up Emo podcast, which you can listen to, download, subscribe to after you're done listening to this podcast. Jump in. So you picked out some of the all-stars, your, you know, your, your Chris Carabas and your Matt Pryors and your Davey Von Bolens that you had in this interview series, and you took those podcasts and you made them into print form, hardcover, leather-bound. It's a soft, soft cover. cover leather. It's, it looks academic. It looks that very the, academic. That was the goal. Like, it wasn't supposed to... This is not a joke. This is serious. Here is the actual words not masked by a star tattoo uh, or anything like that, and... This is this is it serious from all those eras. And I think the volume one has a pretty good smattering of if you're into one genre, you might read about somebody else or you might like just the old stuff. But maybe Chris says something cool. So and I'm already doing volume. I'm already working on volume two. OK, so I was going to ask you about that because there were some big interviews. Uh, the Jimmy World guys. Um, yeah, his inner breaker interview saves the day who didn't make the first book. Yeah, which is I loved one of the reviews that came out early on. They were like, we'll see if he can come back with a volume two. I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> I didn't even bring out, you know, some of the hits. So it was funny to hear that. But yeah, I think there's an interview that I did with Jim Atkinson um, and Eric Richter from Christie Front Drive. Christie Front Drive is an important band that got a lot of bands signed. They were really in, integral. They, they made C- Capital realize Jimmy World was... Yeah. yeah. Like, Eric's a huge... So, basically, that interview is in a hotel room. Eric just busting on Jim Atkins. And it's hilarious because they both know each other really well. So, it was like, I didn't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. I just sat there with a mic and watched them spar. Um, so, that's a fun one that'll be fun to... Uh, get out there when that does what are some of the for you personally what are some of your favorite interview moments that are in this book I would say we did a live episode with which was really nervous to have to do something like actually people are going to show up and pay like five bucks to listen to me like whatever I didn't think people would but we did one where Norm from Texas Norman from Texas Reason wrote wrote me and said hey uh, Steve from Thursday has come out to his friends and family, but not publicly. We want to do a space where he were able to do that. And we're kind of forcing him. <laughs> and so Jason, not forcing, but he agreed. But mm. it was this was his like, all right, we're doing it on this date. Mm. So Jason from The Promise Ring um, mm. came, Norm and Steve. And the what the funny part of the interview is, I always remember this, is I had my computer and my notes of like what I was going to ask. And mm-hmm. there was a question right before I was about to bring that up about basically Steve talking about coming out. Mm-hmm. And which is, I don't know that feeling because I am not gay, but I have a feeling that that is not, that is a hard decision to make. And it's something that's very serious. So he saw my next question. And he told me after that he stalled and kept talking because he was so nervous. <laughs> But after, when he finished, he said, thank you. That was something I needed to do. And for me to be like, I had a, I had some random thing I came up with 10 years ago mm-hmm. that he was able to do something really personal 
that moment to me meant a lot. So that's probably a you know a probably a big moment. And then also John Bunch from Sensefield, I did his last interview before he passed a few mm-hmm. months before he I believe I mean he killed himself. Um, uh, basically, I did his last interview. Yeah. So I had to re-edit it, actually. I had it done, ready to post. Mm-hmm. And the end of it was, see you in L.A. Yeah. And I had yeah. to edit it. So that was kind of crazy. So, yeah. you know, those are two serious things. But I think those are kind of things you don't, I didn't plan for, but they happened. And I think it meant a lot. Were there any interviews, especially ones in the book that the people can read now, that you were just kind of nervous for? Maybe bands that you were just like very closely tied to, looked up to when you were younger that you kind of just like it's tough to just take on that stoic interviewer role in doing the podcast. Yeah. I think early on, because I'd been doing interviews from college radio and newspaper stuff and I'd been kind of doing it so I felt comfortable with them and I knew enough. A great early review, I believe it was David Anthony and A V Club. He kinda of said I'm not gonna I'm gonna paraphrase it horribly, but it was like He's a super nerd, but he kind of holds it back and he knows you're going to ask sure. your question. I think that's the that's how I come across. Like they know I'm a super nerd, but I'm not punishing. I think that's the balance. Yeah. So, um but I will say the promise ring one, which was an early one and I had some crappy USB headset that I used to use. Now I use a nice microphone, but I was using a crappy headset. It went out. So I'm on the phone with Dan and Davey from The Promise Ring for the first time I'm speaking to them ever. They know who I am kind of tangentially through label stuff that I'd been with, labels. Mm-hmm. But all I remember is I my, my, my USB mic goes out and all I hear is Davey and Dan going, Tom, Tom, are you there? Tom. And I'm <laughs> screaming, yes, I'm here. And they can't hear me because my mic went out and I had to call them back. It was really funny, but I, I actually saved that little clip of them. Um, kind of being like, well, I guess we'll go, Dan, right? Yeah, Davey, all right, I'll talk to you later. Like, And it's like my heroes, and like they can't hear me. So maybe that's my nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the, you, you lead the book with that interview, and I guess you just kind of like conveniently edited that little bit out. <laughs> I totally did. No one heard that when it was released anyway. I took sure. that out, obviously. But they ended up doing the interview. They finished it a few months later when we reconnected. But I always remember that being like super nervous of like oh my god they're not gonna call me back like i'm such an idiot i'm so i'm so budget (laughs) (laughs) so i stepped it up on the mic after that what about all the visuals in the book one thing that the podcast really can't bring so tell me about these gig posters and old black and white photos from shows yeah how did these come about that was me bugging them that was me bugging all the bands what do you have in your basement and a lot of these guys have never thought about that so it was me bugging them and friends that have followed me on Instagram or I reached out to a few folks. This guy, Chris Barriner, who was in Ethel Reserve, which a lot of people maybe don't know. They're from from, um, Pennsylvania. They did a ton of shows. He saved everything. Mm. So he has probably he's posting right now a show from today back in 99 or 2000 or 98. Like it's crazy. So I asked him, I was like, hey, do you have anything on the Van Pelt? Do you have anything for these bands? And he just had a ton of stuff. So reaching out to people that I knew had stuff. Um, and then also Michael Dubin, who took a lot of photos in Long Island, New Jersey, um, in the, you know, the, the heyday. He also, he had a Matt Pryor photo that he hadn't used that he let me use for the prior. So depends. The band sometimes had stuff and sometimes it was outside. I love how the punk world was one place where as we moved on to modern photographic technology, as late as maybe like, 2000 every picture is in black and white yeah yeah that was like the way to be cool 
Yeah, that's, I mean, I remember developing, sh- when I took a photo class in college with my crappy camera, I shot on black and white. Yeah. Every gig poster looks like it was, like, photocopied together 15 years earlier. Yeah. <laughs> that was definitely the aesthetic. <laughs> so, but it was really cool. I think that brings it, you know, the set list, the photos, the different pieces help tell the story. Sure. Yeah, let's drop in some music. What is, um... I don't know. What do you think would be a good song to drop in for the people, maybe to acclimate them to what this is We did a playlist. We did a playlist for okay. this. Okay, okay. So, uh, Anthology of Emo, you can find it on the Washed Up Emo profile on Spotify uh, and Tidal. It's also on Tidal. Uh, um, I'm trying to think. I would say for, I mean, Promise Ring is a good one just because of all the bands. I, I put, you know, a Promise Ring song, a Maritime song, and a Vermont song. And I think it was important to list out all the bands Sure. Because a lot of people maybe only... Get all those Kinsella bands in there. That was crazy. (laughs) The Kinsella one, which I'm not even going to be able to recite. Maybe you can. But all of them, I thought, how hilarious would that be to just put Kinsella's name and have every band he was in. So I'm sure some nerd will say that there's I missed something. (laughs) So So give me a Promise Ring song. Uh, I would say, uh, why did we ever meet? Ring interview towards the end is one where you nerd out a little bit and they're putting together their set lists for their reunion shows and they're like we haven't played together in years we only have like two afternoons to rehearse we're not going to have a ton of songs to pick from we're trying to learn like 20 songs and you're naming like the most obscure Sea of Cortez like an instrumental track from their first album I was laughing editing that because you can tell Davies get so frustrated and like annoyed and I just love that because he was just like are you seriously asking about a, what was it? Wasn't it the dinner interlude song? There's like an interlude where it's just like people talking. That's an intro to one of the songs. That's an intro. The intro. So I said, could you play that intro <laughs> before that song? And he was just like, that, that's enough. Like, you're you're crazy. I was like, I know. Can you do it? <laughs> I, I remember I, I interviewed Jimmy World for a Billboard podcast, and they're my all-time favorite band. They're why I do this. And I was I was. Can like we do a Jimmy Eat World podcast? Because that's let's, my favorite. Let's let's Done. do let's do a Jimmy Eat World podcast. <laughs> we were t- we, we were chatting early, and I just was very excited. And we we did like your pom- promise ring discussion. We were talking about like what song off Static prevails they would still put in a set list. You know, totally normal thing for the first five minutes of a Jimmy World interview. And one of them joked like, yeah, we could play, you know, Rockstar. Maybe we'll just play like, you know, track seven off Static Prevails. And I was like, without checking myself, I was like, oh, oh, like like Caveman? And I was like, and they were like, yo, what? And they were like, what? And I was like, yeah, yeah. That's I, I I don't really know the set list. That's like around track seven. And then I looked later and it, it, it was, was track seven. Of course it was. I mean, did you know the petition I started for the Clarity Tour? For the Clarity 10-year anniversary tour? Do you know the petition I started? I was there, but tell me about the petition. So they played Goodbye Sky Harbor previously to that as a six-minute song. So when they announced the tour, I said, well, you better play the 16-minute version. And so this was when 
live streaming, like chat was kind of pretty basic. And I remember they had one where a chat kind of scrolled. So you had to get their attention. It wasn't like they were picking from Twitter or picking from Facebook. So I kept writing, play the full 16 minutes, play the full 16 minutes. And I remember Zach like cracking a joke being like, enough. (laughs) But I started a petition and it got like hundreds of signatures of people being like, you should play the full version. And I found out later that it had a part in them playing the longer version mm. during the Clarity Tour, which I felt pretty proud about. Because I don't want to hear that six-minute jam. It's great. I love when you do it during the set. But if that's that Clarity Tour, play the 16 minutes. Yeah, man. I, I was in college. I remember coming – because I went to college in TCNJ, closer to South Jersey. But I remember coming up to New York for Terminal 5 for that one. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I'm sure there was – I'm sure they realized that at the end. But I thought it was cool that they tried it. They tried to do the crazy version. For sure. Especially let's, for that tour. Yeah. Well, let's let's drop in a little yeah, bit of seriously. Goodbye Sky Harbor. So let's talk about some of the basics of uh, Watchship Emo and the criteria for becoming the sort of band that you could interview for the podcast and thus making it into one of the books. <laughs> How do you decide who qualifies as an emo band and who doesn't? What do you mean? <laughs> I don't decide that. <laughs> it's all about good music and also connections and understanding of history. Um, I think there's eras to every one of those genres. And like our DJ night, we play everything. So if someone comes up and says, I want to hear Starting Line, of course. If you want to hear Foxing, awesome. Or if you want to hear Rites of Spring, all of those fit. And I think there's connections to all of them. Uh, it's when it's a copy of a copy of a copy, when it's derivative, when it's forced. Those things are where it starts to deviate for me. And I think when a band understands the history, and not saying you have to reference Jimmy Eat World or you have to reference Rights of Spings but you understand there's a history and a length to the genre itself and you're not just attaching yourself to it for gain. That's when it sort of loses it for me. So the second book will have the Linkin Park interview. <laughs> you want, so Linkin Park was one of the first bands I worked when I moved to New York City and I saw their first show in Philadelphia on the East Coast and they opened up for Union Underground. No one gave a crap. It was crazy. They were playing the first record. They were playing hi- hi- Hybrid Theory. Oh, my Theory. God. Yeah, what, what it must have been like. I love that record. Like, what it must have been like to see Hybrid Theory perform in a little club. When I got the promo from Warner Brothers, they hadn't changed their name to Linkin Park yet. It was They were still called Hybrid Theory. <laughs> and I remember hearing it being like, this has five singles. This is crazy. And for them to, you know, have the longevity and the career that they put forth was pretty nuts. But it's fun. That's what I loved. And it goes back to seeing these early bands at an early point. It's great to see them when they're new and you can help them. And then they are like a modern baseball. You know, those guys DJed with us. Hotelier DJed with us really early on. And now they're getting crazy offers or modern baseball had, you know, a great success and a lot of people following them. Like, it's awesome to see that for those bands. And it's all I didn't mention earlier. It's about the community. If you understand that there's a community and you're part of it, like 
I would always get bands to hit me up, be like, I can't get shows. Like, are you friends with any bands in your town? Like, play a show with them. Doesn't matter if they're metal, hardcore, punk, indie. Doesn't have to sound like your band. Play with them. Meet new people. Travel together. I think sometimes that gets lost when you're just thinking about, well, I got to sound like this and I got to do this. This is what's hot. You're not going to, it's not going to be authentic. So that's the other piece, the community and authenticity. I think that's what I, I can see that really easily. Sure. And it, and it's a lot, it, it goes far beyond sound. It's where you, where your roots are, where you come up from, what, what sort of beliefs you ascribe to, things like that. Yeah. And I'm not saying that there, the, I love a lot of the bands that might not be associated or I've been told that, you know, you're drawing these lines in the sand. The site that I came up with is this band emo.com. As I've said multiple times, it's a joke and serious at the same time. Like a girl wrote this morning saying, why is this band not? I was like, if you think they are awesome, go listen to them. I like them. I just made a snarky comment. Like, that's it. What like, band was it? I don't even remember. I forget. Um it was like an indie rock band, like a total like, you know, indie pop. But if you think it is and you connect to it and you're connecting to that song and that band, then it is to you. So that it's kind of like some people take it too seriously. Um, <laughs> I know Reddit, like they hate the site, which uh, some of the subreddits for emo, the emo like, subreddit. Yeah, they like hate it, which I've gone on multiple times being like, it's just a joke. Like. <laughs> it's literally just a joke. I came up with it in like a- afternoon and spent two weeks importing and had friends help, and that's it. That's literally all the site. So it's in and in making the winkingly serious, not serious decisions for this. You have a, a panel of people, right, who help you. I out totally with- do. Yeah, there's people all over the world that from bands, um, writers, people in the scene, band, all those folks that we just kind of like I'll bug them about stuff and say hey what do you think or have you heard this band and we're having a regular dialogue about new bands anyway that's the best sure. part add them to the archive yeah like here's this band have you heard them no oh my god wow that's really cool or this band put out one seven inch in 97 on this label do you remember them no send me the send me the track oh sure. that's really it's this there's 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 bands and there's things to discover in the past and today, which excites me. And I think my one gripe with that mid-2000s era is that that's it and that's all there was. And yeah. it's okay. I love so many of those bands. I worked a ton of them when I was at EVR and Vagrant. I know, but know the whole time period and go with it. Like follow them past that heyday follow them to that next record follow them to that next band that solo album you know if uh if fred or somebody and you know john nolan or taking back sunny if those guys have solo records follow them that way support and i think sometimes that got lost shout out to the color fred oh yeah (laughs) one of his records we did at evr was like 90 percent recyclable like the tray the case the paper it was like really big deal for him. So we okay. like spent all this money okay. to do like this crazy recyclable case, CD case. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, so with that that mid-2000s era you mentioned where there were a lot of Fairweather fans, I think what does make it tricky, and I can speak firsthand because... I got into the scene in 2003 and it was nearing or at its commercial peak when I was like at my peak interest in it when I was like 16, 17 years old. And because it was so close to the mainstream and because a bunch of the bands were really a part of the mainstream for that moment, you just naturally bring on a lot of just general pop fans who aren't necessarily embedded in a scene where it's like if you're just like a teenager in high school aware of music – you would maybe really be into t- to Taking Back Sunday or Dashboard Confessional or My Chemical Romance or Fallout Boy. You at least know who they are. So then you just have sort of a lot of people who just think of emo as like, well, I guess it was only around between like my high school years because I don't hear about it anymore. Yeah. I never heard about it before that, so I guess that was it. Yeah. It's just troubling because I think there's like this education part that I talked about earlier, like when there was the Where's the Band tour was it Pryor and Conley and Dan Andriano from Alkaline Trio? And people were talking during acoustic songs if it wasn't Matt or Chris doing mm. a hit. And it, the Bell House show was pretty awkward where it was like, we're like trying to play a song and it's just like literally audible conversation. Chatter, yeah. And I think that, like, I'm happy they came. I'm happy whoever was there, but there's this sort of like, I don't know. I don't know this Dan Andriano song, but he's in Alkaline Trio. I'm going to shut up for a second. Like, I don't think that... It it brought out people who don't get that etiquette about shows, and, you know, some of that might not exactly be their fault. No. But they probably just haven't been out to a lot of, like, the shows that, you know, this community that we're talking about. But I think the bands didn't realize that. I think... I don't think the bands realized that that large group of people that came on board while you were there and you're still there, there was a larger group that I thought didn't go with them. And I, I think they realized they thought that was going to happen, you know, watching a band and have them only care about four or five songs. Mm. Like that's tough for a band. And maybe that happens over time that it slowly gets there. But I'm not saying I listen to the new taking back Sunday as much as I do the older stuff, but I did before the show. And I wanted to hear and they wanted to play the whole record. But I think it's it's I don't think the bands realize that because they're like, oh, wow, we sold it out. Well, I, you know, it's, yeah. it's it's tough. So I think they're grappling with that along with the fan base being like, well, I want that. I know you have a new thing. It's it's tough. Maybe they're not used to it. Yeah, it must be really kind of a trip if you're in one of those if you're in one of those bands that did have that brief window of commercial success where you're going to have this subset, maybe majority of people coming out to your show who only really want to hear three or four songs and don't even really know about the rest. You know, someone who was just into like Saves the Day for At Your Funeral or someone who was into Chris Caraba for a minute, for like a Mark, a minute, a Mark, a Mission, Brand of Scar, like the album before that, who just wants to hear those hits. 
Yeah, and maybe it's, that's for every band. Or, I mean, but like, it's interesting for that time period because it got so huge. But like a Promise Ring show now, they probably wouldn't have to deal with anything like that. No, a Get Up Kids show, not really. You know, there's it, an interesting audible with what songs based on the time. I've noticed that DJing. So early on, I would play these Get Up Kids songs, and I would notice as the years passed, it's slowly creeping. Less people requesting Four Minute Mile more people something to write home about but it happened over like it's funny to kind of you can see the requests like someone came up and said i want some old coheed i was like awesome what are you feeling second stage and they were like there was a record from like 08 yeah and i was like oh (laughs) but it was cool like that's but it was fine we still played it like it made sense but i think the age of people you know going with the band sometimes that lessens and i think a band you said they're not used to that maybe or they didn't realize it I'm not in their shoes, but thank God they still showed up. They paid the ticket. They're still going to hear the songs. There are people there, but I think it's interesting to watch the reaction. Yeah, and you could do like a whole like adolescent psychology study on this, but I think whatever you're really into when you're like 15, 16, 17, regardless of how much you're into whatever music after that, you're just your mind yeah. is just in a unique place where whatever you're into in those peak teenage years just imprints on you in such a deep emotional way that it's like nothing can ever top that and you're always going to have the strongest connection when you hear those songs live to anything else yeah yeah you're right it's so strong yeah for you what are those what are those songs like what what would what would bring that out in you um we we can bring it up i mean jimmy world clarity Uh uh-huh that was huge bleed american seeing that break was really fun um what else apple sea cast Jealous sound. Um, but then being able to be a part of Circus Survive and that record breaking. Yeah, that would have been when you were working, right? I was working. Yeah. So, like, those moments are also like, mm. I'm seeing them tonight. And, you oh, know, the, the show with Thrice. Yeah. yeah. So, Colin's doing the podcast, you know, but like those moments, like, you know, being able to help a band that way and, you know, that, that meant a lot too. So, I had kind of the teenage, like, oh my God, these bands are huge to me and now I'm talking to them and now I'm able to help. Those are kind of, I guess, unique, but I don't take it for granted. Like I think about that stuff a lot where I'm I'm here to help them. That was my only, when I would go up to bands and get radio IDs, that's how I would get to meet them. I would just say, hey, I don't need an interview at the show. I just need to go up to them and get a radio ID for the college radio station. And that's how I met Jimmy Eat World for the first time. That's how I met Newfound Glory. Like all these bands, they just knew we were getting IDs. Um, and we have a ton of out, actually have outtakes of these bands trying to read my handwriting because I have horrible <laughs> handwriting. And I would hand them a card to read, and they, like Tom from Promise or Tom from Jimmy Eat World, actually, there's a hilarious one where he can't read it. Um, it's really funny. So, but like those moments, like again, those are special times where it helps connect. Sure. You mentioned uh, one one of my favorites too from that era, a little bit before me, but uh, Jealous Sound in the book. That's one of the, I think, one of the more low key interviews that hopefully gets some more people into them because that that they have a couple albums, but the one album they did in the early two thousands, their debut, Kill Them with Kindness, is just such an underappreciated masterpiece of those times. Yeah, Blair Sheehan, I think lyrically. I don't pay attention to lyrics a lot. I will admit that's the last thing I listen to. I'm a guitar player, so I listen to okay. the riff. I listen to the like. I want to feel like I can play it. The lyrics are kind of last for me. It kind of like 
he somehow connects with me early with the lyrics and mm. I think he's special in that and his riffs and the way that he palm mutes and those things and his band Racket Club right now which they he's put doing, an album yeah yeah with Serge from Sam I Am like great record like it's just again like he's like a I think he's like this unheralded like very special person in the scene that you know should have had more love but hopefully at some point people realize when they read this interview like there's there's deeper things with him and also you know he was in knapsack too he did knapsack which a lot of people have a lot of reverence for let's drop in hope for us oh great job yeah hope this is us. this is one of the songs you you do nerd out a little bit on on the podcast in the book <laughs> so this this is the uh the should have been hit single from this uh jealous sound album we keep talking about this is uh hope for us Oh, yeah. So we were talking about how they kind of just missed. Very frustratingly, they did have, for a hot second, a major label deal with, I believe, Jive. Mojo? Mojo. One of those four-letter, cheesy, (laughs) one one, one of those titles. And and then it was this case of the week after they got signs, another label absorbed it and the A and the one A and R who was really into them who brought them in lost their job and then they were just sort of this lost band and they were in purgatory for a while and then finally an indie imprint put out their album. But from talking to him and from reading that interview, it seems like he's not exactly super frustrated about that these days. Yeah, I I, I got that too. I think it was right for for the right reasons. Like what would have happened? Would it re- I mean there's such a small percentage that bands, you know, get that shot. Like, what would have happened? Like, could it have led to other things? Great, but it wouldn't have led to this. So, sure. I guess you, I think he's at, I think he's at peace with it. Yeah. And I think that's, I think, I would think most, if not all, of the musicians that you talk to in this book would kind of have that attitude. Because if you come up in one of these scenes in one of these communities, you're not getting into it to just like, have hit songs and make tons of money in that kind of a music career. So if you like have a near miss with a major label, like you're not going to be like, my life is ending. It's not, you're not going to feel like the world is crashing down around you. You're just going to, you know, you're going to be prepared for that. Well, it's like those bands that I would see and they'd have their crate amps and their awesome guitars and their like perfect thing. And I'm like, no one knows who this band is. How do you like, it's almost like they just, they tried, like I'd see them on warp tour. You're like, trying too hard like you're right about the bands that i think from that era like came up because they had to make this music they had to do this they wanted to be a part of someone part of a community and i think it shows and for them to you know maybe they had a swing maybe they had a miss but they they all kind of just wanted to do it yes similarly i'm interested when when you reach out to bands are there any that see the title washed up emo and they're like no, I can't do this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a bunch of people that have said no because of it. Um, and until they have a f- mutual friend say, hey, this is cool. Sure. Like um, Jeff Farina from Karate was a big one um, that I you know, had to go through a friend. 
like a friend of a friend to ask him and say, no, he's cool. Like, look at all the other bands. Like, I'm sure it took two years to get Brett from the Juliana theory to do it. Um, Who else have I been asking? Chris Higdon from Elliot. He knows that he wants to do it, but he still hasn't said yes. Like it's been about three years. So I kind of, I don't give up. Like there's actually one person I'm really close on that I've been waiting for years and years to say yes. And we're almost there. Interesting. Um, So I'm really patient. Um, Basically it's, if you want to tell your story and you look at the list, I'm not outing anybody. I'm not like ahas. I'm not asking any crazy, you tell your story. And the best thing about this is, there's a hundred plus episodes. If you go back to the first one, it sounds as evergreen as the one I just released. Like they're not topical. Like some will have little instances about what's happening, but most of the time it's what's your life story. And if you happen to get into the promise ring tomorrow or the jealous sound, you can listen to Blair tell his story and you've gotten a little more education. You learn more about him. So that was kind of the apex of it, which I think, hopefully comes through with why I thought it was his. It, it's not a history book. I had all these people online being like, where's the right to spring interview. <laughs> it's not a history book. It's volume one. <laughs> like it's just the, you know, it's gonna, I think people will get it when they see it and they understand like, here are 10 stories. Here's volume two. We'll have more, another 10 stories. And hopefully there'll be, you take something from it. Yeah, scrolling through your archive of all the podcasts you've done, there really aren't that many major bands you haven't at least gotten a member from. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few that I've still got on my list. I have this giant list of to schedule, and I have a giant list uh-huh. of to edit. Uh, but I think the there there there's a few that I think. I mean, there's one that I'm super nervous about. You brought up about like a nervous one. I have a way to get in from Fugazi and, and Minor Threat mm-hmm. to I, – I could email – one person and I could probably set it up. I'm way too nervous because he like, I'm also straight edge, like, like all those kind of things, his uh-huh. ethos, his, the way he's presented himself. I sort of have modeled a lot of what I've done. So I'd have mm-hmm. a hard time. So that's probably the one where I'm like, I don't know. Although he, he, he does anything. He, yeah. He would seem like he's so <laughs> he totally used to just <laughs> chatting with any kid who just approached him and wants to talk to him. Yeah. Or walked up on his porch in DC. He'd yeah. probably go and hang and talk with him. Yeah. But for me inside, I'm super nervous just because of the impact sure. he had. But I think there's, that there's a few people that I think, especially from the mid 2000s, there's more that I want to get um, from that era that I think they're like Kenny from the starting line. I didn't realize a lot of the stuff about him and what shows he went to and how he got, I didn't know any of that. It was really enlightening to hear. And I think there's more of those that could be told. Sure. That someone like me would learn. Like that's the other part about it. I'm not just like trying my agenda for these bands. Like I, Kenny, I learned a lot from that one. I learned a lot from Tucker from Thursday. Like I, I want to know that. Or even when I was mm-hmm. interviewing the kid, um, Jake from Modern Baseball, who's got Slaughter Beach Dog. Yeah. Like, I learned a lot about him and what, what he listened to when he came up and why. And I just interviewed Matt from Everyone Everywhere, who is also the band called The Hurry. I just interviewed him. We were on the phone for two and a half hours because I just, I was like, tell me more. Like, what was 09 Philly like? Yeah. Like, I, tell me. That's kids. I mean, that's like, that's. I would feel a little bit old talking yeah. to, to someone who was like in high school in 2009, you know? But like, that, tell me what was going yeah. on. Like I was amped. Like what was happening? Like, I don't know. I was, Cause I was an adult. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm still excited. Like yeah. it's still rad to hear. Like when you, you'll hit me up on, you know, 
Twitter, you'll be like, dude, check out this band. I can't wait to listen to it because I still get that excitement. And I think hopefully someone hears that about an older band or a newer band or someone from these these podcasts or this book. Like that's I hope that happens. Sure. Yeah, because we were saying you have hit on most of, you know, the greats, the the 90s, maybe the late 80s class. But as far as like the mid aughts and now you're going to have all these like emo revival bands in a couple years who are, you know, coming around, have more of a life story to tell, have more life experience. And probably in a couple years, that's going to be a lot of what you're having on the podcast. Yeah. And I think mental health was brought up. Sure. Um, The guy from Somos brought it up. The dude from Free Throw. Uh, brought it up Connor from Foxing brought it up Connor's is one that if anyone starts with like a new band they didn't know like that's a good one to start with um, just because of how honest he was Um, it's great when someone's like that sure Um, they're not guarded you'd kind of just like let loose but mental health I think the bands like that wasn't happening you know that wasn't being talked about so for them to be really upfront about it was great yeah that is interesting because another one Pup who you had who we had on the show there they've given some very good frank open interviews about their mental health and being on the road you, it's like you would you would have thought in the older bands they would have been more open with that but you know also i wasn't really there reading interviews as much in those years but it seems it, like it, it seems like it's become much more prominent now there might have been maybe i missed a zine or here or there <laughs> but I think you were you were paying attention as best you could. Uh, you know, I was like reading alternative press and like yeah. AP Net in like 2004. Like I, I didn't really hear a lot of Punk people news. talking. Yeah, I didn't hear people talking that openly about like mental health and anxiety and depression and like how to get through it and stuff like that. But to have you know the guy from Somos be like, "This is what's going on. This sure. is how I helped myself." Like that's really like I hope someone hears that and is like, "Okay, I can talk to my mom or I can talk to my my." Uh, guidance counselor or whatever it is mm-hmm. about something like that and not just kind of push it away. Sure. Because that's a big part about emo that I think is appropriated to it. The cutting, the, you know, the suicide, those those are not things that I ever thought the word meant. And so those were sort of appropriated throughout the media. And they're mocking it a lot of times when they put that stuff on. They're not like lending like a helpful No, it's a it's a joke. Yeah. Which I just I get really, you know, offended by because that's not what this is about. This is not that music is positive. It's not a I'm not I'm not sad. I'm not like it's so it's a it's definitely tough to hear those things still like there's still those snide comments. And I think that's why the book was academic. Like I'm trying to be as serious as possible. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think I mean, like, is there a more hated word in music? Everyone hates the word. But then again, when you, nowadays so many things that are not rock bands are just described as emo. I mean, it it can be like rappers and Drake and rappers that Drake has discovered or who are on his label, and it can or it can just be like a sweater you call emo. It can be a TV. It can be like anything. Like, but it seems like it's a it's like there's this negative connotation to that. I think it's kind of like a oddly cool thing now, but I don't think like emo as like rock music has gotten that much cooler in perception but i think as the word emo just gets like mainstreamized and just more of like a part of like the teen lexicon like oh you're being so emo yeah oh like it's just more of just a mainstream thing and there's less of a stigma if you just call like oh that that rap song is so emo so you see it as not as negative more of like people or maybe they understand the word more if they hear it more yeah, maybe, but I also think it just 
it just it has much less specific meaning now. It just basically means someone who's very emotional or something that's very emotional and deep or whatever. Yeah. You know? Interesting. It, I, it mean, I, I mean, I hate when it's just appropriated like that. Sure. Like, why? I mean... So there's an emo ska band coming. Like, is that is is that what's happening? Like, I don't it know just about se- that one, but <laughs> but it's like the it's it's interesting that that word is appropriated when they want something, but then as soon as it's not, it's like shunned. It's just this word only you only want it when it helps you. Sure, you don't want it in 2007 when I was starting the site. Yeah, and no one cared. Yeah, not and, no one, and, but and, very few. And still, I think most rock bands now don't want the word emo in their press release. So the the revival, perfect example. There's labels that, hey, we want your help on this band early on. First record, great. I'll do a review. I'll talk about them. Next record comes out, indie rock stalwarts, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And they don't want review. They don't want me to write about it. It's interesting. So you want it when you need the help, not me. I'm saying the word. Yeah. But then when you're out of it, you don't want it anymore. Pick. You got to pick. I do think some of those walls are coming down now, though, because I think just the indie rock quote, that culture and like those qualifiers, that association, it's nowhere near as cool as it used to be in like the OC days. It's, It's nowhere near as cool in 2017, I think. The word the the emo qualifier is gaining on it a lot, and I think like as you start to see like Pitchfork starting to cough up those best new musics for You're emo right. bands, and Coachella starting to put emo bands maybe on one of the side stages, we're slowly starting to see those last few gatekeepers open up to it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm not as negative about it, but just that it just seems like it's always got a little tinge to it. Sure. But I think if you if you talk to like a sixteen year old about like what do you think of emo, I'm sure they've heard it, and I'm sure like they they've at least used it once or twice, like talking with their friends, and they yeah. might have a radically different idea of what it means than we do. I I can just guess. Yeah, that's why it's great talking to the younger bands because you're able to kind of get those connotations or when they heard it. It's always great to hear when they first heard it. Yeah, was it at a show? Was it at was it a band? Was it a review? Was it my dumb podcast? Like, what? Where was it? Yeah, and it, you were saying on one of the shows that usually they don't really know where they first heard it. Yeah, they don't. It's like, oh, someone sent me a record and I overheard it. Or it was another CD that someone gave me and I read a review and it said, like, it's it's interesting. But it, I never, like, I don't think there's a more, like, there's probably a more polarizing word that we're not thinking of, but that it just seems like the words wanted when it's needed and then when it's not, it's like pushed away as if, well, I don't need that anymore, and I'm not going to associate with it. But then when it's cool again, you want it again. Well. It's interesting. Yeah. What's great about it is that the word is still around. Like, it's not like the genre hasn't morphed. Like, how great is that? It's still alive. Like, it's living, and we're talking about it today, and there's bands that reference it but night not and it's morphing there's other genres that are attaching to it so that to me says there was something to it there's something to it that's deeper than what people think for sure and like even even if it's not always being used to describe rock bands anymore i think the use of the word just in culture at large is 
even more pervasive than what it was like five, ten years ago. So You're right. regardless, regardless of what it's describing, the the word emo is li- living on. I don't see it going away anytime soon. Yeah, no, which is great. Like uh, there's a quote from Chris uh, Chris Leo kind of said, I f- I'm going to paraphrase it horribly, but it's sort of like you don't want to be – you know, remembered for that word, but then if you're not mentioned, you're also kind of miffed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's better than being called Chill Wave in 2017. <laughs> yeah. Well, Davey from The Promise Ring, um, he was with Maritime at the time, and he played the Bell House. And this young kid, he was like, I, mean, I don't think he was 18. He was got to be, I don't know, it must have been all ages show. I don't know how he got in. He was screaming red and blue jeans. During a maritime show, different band. Yes, Dan is back there, <laughs> but in the drums, but not the same band. And you see Davey kind of giggle, but the kid's relentless. <laughs> I never told you this story. You told me this on the last podcast. Oh, but I'm enjoying it the second. But time. it's worth. But the but the kid. <laughs> it's worth saying again with this context because I first thing I said to Davey after, dude, how lame was that? And he goes, no. He kind of like stopped me, which was cool. He was like, no. That was awesome. The kid showed up. <laughs> he paid mm-hmm. a ticket to go see Maritime. I'm not going to play Red and Blue Jeans, but I'm glad he showed up. How great. What a positive outlook <laughs> versus heckling him or like saying something mean. Like the kid wanted to hear Promise Ring. He knew that those two members were there. He still showed up. Yeah. And that goes back to I hope that that happens for those other bands. I Absolutely. hope that I want to, you know, if, if, you know, I did do a tour with Patrick Stump. When he when Fall Out Boy was not around and he he opened up for a band, what band was that? It was an EVR band and could not get arrested. He had a solo record, could not get arrested, and you know I felt bad. Was, was this was this, was this pre Fall Out Boy or when he did the R and B? This was in between. This oh, was the R and B. Soul Punk. The album yeah. was called Soul Punk. Yeah, yeah. That that album didn't really do anything. So, but where were all those fans before? Like I'm yeah, just yeah. And maybe that takes time and it wasn't the right timing. All that stuff happens. But I was, I was like, wait a minute. I thought that band was huge. Where's all the, so I hope that happens. I want totally. that to happen. And I think it will. I think one, we didn't bring up panic that the disco they've morphed and now they have a whole new fan base that didn't even know the first iteration of the band. And how great is that? You've morphed and gotten a new fan base. Like that's all you want as an artist. Oh, absolutely. So for them to continue is also a feat and still continue. Yeah, I saw I saw them sell out Madison Square Garden earlier this year and insane. What what just warms my heart is that it is not a nostalgia thing at all. It's not a bunch of people my age there just like standing still and sipping beers and like, "Oh, high school. This is like high school." It wasn't that at all. No. It was all these young kids who were maybe at one of their first arena shows losing their shit. And panic was not just you know mooching off of the old stuff. The kids were going crazy for like all the deep cuts on Death of a Bachelor, the new album. They only played I Write Sins. They played that in its entirety, and they did like a medley mashup of five of the songs from the first so album. Smart. <laughs> That's all they did. That's all they did of the first album, and still they got away with it. And people loved the show, headlining show at MSG. So that's like. They're able to morph. Like, that's special. That's something that they're able to do with their fan base, and they've been able to bring a new audience. I hope the other bands from that it's era— It's so hard. It's hard, but I hope they see that and say, that's, that, that's a model. Maybe try that. You need new fans, and then hopefully maybe they do go back and hear that first record. You hope. Oh, I think they absolutely do. I, I, I do think Fever You Can't Sweat Out is viewed as like some sort of pop punk classic. Yeah. Amongst, you know, a lot of kids who For are sure. you know, 
if you're like 18 and into alt music, then yeah, it's it's that it's that it's like that sort of you know dookie enema of the state status. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to talk to the dudes in that band about that, like changing and why you made those you know decisions and what about that first record still resonates how does that like your new fan base the old fan base how do you like that's a probably really interesting conversation i've talked to brendan about that it's interesting because the first half of the album is purposefully kind of a pop punk album it's still like dressed up a little bit but the first half is a pop punk album and then the second half that has i write sins and others on it is more kind of like the vaudeville thing with all the strings and fancy stuff because they made like the first half of the album and then even like in the middle of the session they were just kind of like getting tired of that sound and it had been around and it had been big for the while and like you know everyone compared them to Fall Out Boy yeah. so in the middle of making their first album they were already thinking about like hmm what's next what's next which is smart <laughs> that's yeah, how you really stay is. a band because <laughs> there are some bands from the scene who just sort of are good and bands I respect a lot who still have are around and doing well for themselves but kind of just make the same albums over and over again. And you got to know your audience, know who's coming, know what, you know, morph, understand. I think those are important things that you're right. Some bands are better at. Sure. And especially with this genre morphing and all the different attributes that it's maybe pulling from, it's worth doing that self-evaluation. Yeah. Little fan survey every, every once in a while. (laughs) Just send out the, send out the Google survey. (laughs) Like, do you want breakdowns? Yes or no? <laughs> well, for for actually for on the panic at the disco note, uh, go listen to uh, or it's, it's not go search on YouTube. It's not recorded, but search for panic at the disco positive hardcore. You will like what you find. Nice reference, Chris. <laughs> do, do you have any? Do you know what I'm? I've, then they 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 did a cover, right? It's not a I don't, it's not a cover. It's just this joke oh, song they cover. do towards the end of sets. Usually, it's only if a lot of fans in the front are yelling for it. But they actually play like a standard like hardcore song, like du- like you know like double bass, yeah, really yeah, yeah. fast, choppy guitars, and Brendan can legit scream like really well. <laughs> I mean, he's just so all around like talented. Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, of course, you can scream like a really good hardcore yeah. front man. <laughs> Oh, that's I didn't know that. Yeah. All right, I'll I'll yell that. Next get time. get get into the front row of a panic show and yell positive hardcore. <laughs> Done. So let's let's keep it in the present and talk about our favorite albums this year. Things that came out of this scene of music. What what are what if you were suggesting someone some new records that came out in 2017? What would you put their way? The the new Prawn record, Run. I okay. really like. Um, I would say, what was the other? Sorority Noise, without a doubt, it came out in February. Yep. But that, I called it, I told Fred and everybody in that label, I said I'm for, I was the first person to call this album of the year. Uh, I think it still might be. Um, I think that's an awesome, awesome record. You're not as blank as you think. Yes, you're not as blank as you think you are. Um, great record. And then, uh, who I just saw last night, Alex Leahy, the girl from Australia, she has a record called Love You Like a Love You Like a Brother, Like You Like Your Brother, something like a brother. Um, I'm looking at the album cover in my head. Um, awesome, like it's basically a chorus on a chorus, uh, like pop hits. Um, I uh-huh. sent it to a few other bands to um, to check out, and everyone's kind of been cool. So that's one I've been telling people. Interesting. About. I haven't heard that. It's so it's it's what like just. Like really coarse, hooky, heavy songs. Yeah, it's hooky. Interesting. Like the verses are hooky, yeah. the openings I like, hooky. I like the sound of that. Yeah, 
Um, What's a good song? We can drop in a little bit of it here. What's a good song? Uh, every Day is a Weekend. My hands were cold, but my feet are not. Are you leaving me or have you just forgot? Because in the end, we were never friends but more. You've got things like a family. They're a bigger deal than I'll ever be. You know that's okay. We should ride this wave to shore. Plenty of stuff to check out. Plenty of stuff if uh, to just get into this. If you're someone who's scratching your head about all this stuff that we're talking about here. <laughs> As my girlfriend says, you're the king of a, a kingdom I've never heard of. <laughs> and I don't know about the king part either. Um, but it's nice to be, uh, to have, it's nice to help. You're at least in the court. I'm in the court. All I want to do is help. Like these bands deserve people to hear about them. And I hope that either it's the podcast or the website or a tweet or, you know, a mess, uh, you know, an Instagram thing. Just like this podcast, you hope that someone else that might be into something similar listens to it. And that's it's so hard now. There's so much noise. And I think to have people that people can listen to and like your podcast or listen, watch you know, on, you on Twitter, if you talk about a band, people are going to listen and you hope that you help them get to another place. That's what it's about. Yeah. That's all I care about. I remember in college, I worked at the radio station and I was able – I had all the records, so I would make mixtapes and – pick up friends and drive to shows and play them all the new stuff on the way to the show. And that was like a yeah. fun, that was the, that was what you did. And then it's like this, this little window where I have you like, let me play you some stuff. Yeah. And it wasn't like they could have heard it anywhere else. Yeah. That's how I first heard newfound. I remember this is kind of weird in college, but I actually had high school kids that listened to my college radio show. I actually picked them up. I don't know why their parents let me do that, <laughs> but I picked them up and I played them the first newfound glory record. Because you know the only reason I bought it? Because I was like, the, the record store guy was like, he used to be in Shai Halud. And I was like, mm. done. Yeah. Sign me up. Not knowing what it sounded like. Yeah. That leap of faith. I miss that. The leap of faith part of like you holding something. Yeah. You don't even know what they look like back then. I know that sounds crazy. There wasn't a wiki. There wasn't Google search images. Like you just, you saw the cover you saw the label, and you had a leap of faith, of trust. Sometimes it didn't work out, but a lot of times it, it did. And it's something that we'll generally just never have again. It's It really is a bygone thing. Yeah. Like, I miss that, like, picking up a record and just being like, I don't know what this sounds like, but I know the label. Someone told me it's cool. I'm going to put it on. I think, too, the missing part of that physical, visual part, like, I, you asking me about records, what, what did I visualize? My iTunes, yeah, exactly, and my Spotify, yeah. and that's just zeros and ones. Uh, but if you ask me, you know, what record were you playing in 1994? Like I could visualize like album art, all that stuff. And I know the twelfth track as much as the first track. And I sometimes wish that I did that more with music, but it's almost like too much. Maybe yeah. because I'm working. Maybe I'm not a kid, and I don't. But I still feel like I listen to work. I listen to music all day at work. That's work-related, so but I miss that. Getting that Days Away album in its rightful place back on streaming services. But isn't that nuts that there's an yeah. album for Put that? Put by Fuel by Ramen. That wasn't on streaming services. There's still stuff out there. Like I would tell people and fans, like if you have records and you remember that it's not up there, go tell the label. They probably don't remember. Yo, one album that I got into from your washed-up emo playlist and I feel like you probably have a connection with this because it was an Equal Vision album in 02. 
Maybe you were working there then? I was there in 04, but I was okay. still talking to them at that time. Yeah, the Rocking Horse winner. <laughs> yeah, I had never heard of them, and I heard the song uh, Miss You. Yeah, I was blown great away song. by that song. That song's fucking awesome. Yeah, Rocking Horse winner, I think, had a really rad moment where it was like really powerful girl singer, like band was awesome. Like, yeah, that that was definitely... that. that 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 was a fun moment, I think, for EVR. No one, no one came. So I'll just uh, I'll, to sum up who is in the book. I'll run through the uh, the names here. So it's it's uh, Dan Didier and Davey Von Bolen of Promise Ring, Maritime in Vermont. I'm not going to go through every band for every person. There's it's, <laughs> you it's, don't it's, have well, to. <laughs> I'm looking at this Mike Kinsella. I know a few it's so ridiculous. Down. Norman Brannon, Texas is the reason. Chris Caraba, you already know. Mike Kinsella, American Football, <laughs> Captain Jazz, Owen, many bands. Chris Leo, the Van Pelts. Um, Rainer Maria, Matt Pryor, the Get Up Kids, Eric Richter, Christy Front Drive, Blair Sheehan, Knapsack, Jealous Sound, who we were talking about a lot, and Chris Simpson from Mineral. Not bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> nice little trip around the horn for the first time. Yeah, and I think Volume 2 will kind of take the same shape where new bands, like new revival bands from and bands from the 2000s and bands from the 80s, 90s. So try to have everybody on one for volume two. Awesome. There's plenty left. Anything else you wanted to touch on? Uh, no. Th- hopefully people dig it. And complaints, washedupemo.com. Go for it. I love Complaints, comments, suggestions. The most amazing thing is the unsolicited emails that I get from around the world. Either a band from Australia that sends me a record or... Uh, a kid in Brazil that wants to know uh, he just got into uh, Screamo from 98 and wants to know another band and I help him or they tip me off to something like I that back and forth like mm-hmm. I love the when you and I text or tweet back and forth I love that stuff so I encourage that and I hope that this leads to more conversations about the scene and more people find out about more bands because it's harder than ever to kind of come above the noise so hopefully there's a community around this to hopefully cultivate that yeah shout out the exact social handles so everything is just uh, at washed up emo so twitter is washed up emo facebook is washed up emo tumblr instagram slash washed up emo um and uh, if you want to come to the dj night in new york city it's the facebook is emo night nyc there it is for for six years my friends We didn't touch on that, but we don't have to. <laughs> oh, uh, let's let's not. We're not. <laughs> Yo, thanks so much for coming by. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that is it. That is the interview. Thanks so much to Tom for coming by. Check out the book. As we said, it's out already. It's out there in the world. Go buy it. Anthology of Emo, Volume 1. 
And like we were saying, most likely more volumes to come. Tom does lots and lots of podcast interviews, and uh, you should subscribe to his podcast because I can say that you should not wait for all of his podcasts to be transcribed in a book. You should listen to them now. Subscribe to the Washed Up Emo podcast, which is also, aside from a podcast and a book, also a DJ night, a Twitter, a blog, and a second website called isthisbandemo.com where you can literally type in a band or an artist and Tom tells you whether or not they are emo. Isn't that convenient? So, thanks to Tom for coming by. This was our last episode of the year. I'm kind of sad, but we'll be back next January with more artist interviews, more interesting people interviews, more fun. So subscribe to the show. Search for hashtag alternative facts, all one word, either in the podcast app of your phone, in iTunes, whatever. Drop us a star rating. It's super helpful. And also just any uh, feedback you have for me about the show, about what you like, what you don't like. Specific, however however specific, however negative, positive you want to get. It's all super helpful. And also just Twitter is useful for that too if you want to just go into detail about the show. Um, my handle is at plane, or you can just search for my name. It's C-H-R-I-S-P-A-Y-N-E. I'm always just dropping little hints in there about what's coming up on the show. So good way to stay in touch. And uh, I think that's just about all I have for you guys. So hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you learned about emo. I know I did. I'm always learning. And uh, thanks so much for Tom and all our guests this year for coming by. And uh, we'll see. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 